we have to mourn. And when we're mourning, this is how we're comforted. We're comforted because we have solidarity with Jesus. Jesus stepped into our suffering with us. We have solidarity with people who are hurting. Like when I wash my hands, that's a luxury that the poor around the world don't have, that the homeless in America don't have. When I can practice social distancing, I've been to Calcutta, India. You cannot practice social distancing. I mean, it is, it is unreal. So there's solidarity with people who hurt. And then there's also the hope of one day this is gonna be over, but until that day, my lament turns into action. Welcome to the Social Media Church Podcast. My name is Aaron and I'm joined by Nils and a very special guest. Uh, this is a surreal moment for me. Uh, when I got into ministry, one of the first online conferences that I listened to uh, had this speaker at it uh, and he has impacted my life since then uh, and continues to. And I can't believe that I get an opportunity uh, to sit here with Nils and interview him. Uh, today, we have Dr. Derwin Gray on our podcast. And uh, I'm going to let Derwin introduce himself to you. But uh, Derwin is um, uh, the lead pastor at Transformation Church. And he is such a fantastic leader. Uh, he has a multi-ethnic church, uh, so wise, uh, so insightful, such a great leader for uh, the church. And what's even better is he has not punted on social media. Uh, Derwin Gray is one of the most active uh, people I know, pastors I know on social media. Uh, and that was my heart getting into ministry. And so to see him uh, on social media and how he utilizes that platform to minister and impact people's lives uh, is really inspiring to me. And what, what got my attention with Derwin is Derwin also played football. And uh, for somebody, a young pastor getting into ministry who had a background in football, not ministry, listening to Derwin's story was so inspiring. Uh, and so I just, I'm, I'm super excited for you guys to get to hear from Derwin. Uh, Derwin, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'd just love for you to just take a moment and, and introduce yourself. I know you've done this a thousand times, but let's make it a thousand and one just for the people who aren't familiar with you. Uh, just introduce yourself. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, the incredible kind words. And it's an honor and privilege for me to be on with you as well. I think a lot of times you really, you, you don't, you don't know how God is impacting people through you. And so, man, it just, it brings me incredible, incredible joy. And uh, I'm getting to the stage of life uh, where when your fruit grows on other people's trees, like it is a good, good day. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, so my name is Derwin Gray. I'm the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church. We're a 10-year-old church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, co-founded with my wife and several others. Yep. Uh, my wife and I have been together for 30 years. Wow. We, we uh, On May 23rd, it'll be 28 years of marriage. So we actually met second semester my freshman year. I was 18. She was 19. And so she's my, uh, my best friend, the love of my life, an incredibly wise ministry mm -hmm. leader at Transformation Church. We've got two children. Presley is 23 and Jeremiah is 19. Um, they are an incredible gift to us. Um, yeah, so uh, I played professional football, seems like four lifetimes ago. <laughs> um, I'll watch highlights and I'll say, man, I didn't realize I was that good. Mm. You know, I, I think that when you're playing, you're always working on your craft and you don't have time to look back and appreciate it. But now at 49, I look back and I go, man, I had no idea I was that fast and explosive um, and that good. As a matter of fact, um, I tweeted out a um, video of when I knocked Dan Marino out of the game on a blitz. And I was like, Dude, that was so violent. I mean, I just absolutely crushed him. Um, so yeah, man. Um, I'm a, I'm a first and foremost. I'm a beloved child of God. Yeah. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. Um, I write some books, and I love Jesus's church, which is not buildings or denominations. It's yeah. people that He bled for, that He bought, that He rose again, and now indwells and inhabits. And I desire to see. Um, pastors be healthy 
Um, we, we have production down. Uh, we have successively uh, taken Wall Street corporate leadership principles and turned the church into a business and a production. Like we have that down in the United States of America. And kind of one of my passions is churches are getting bigger. Um, there's more leadership, but I've never seen God's people be more divided. Like God's people often are the problem instead of the solution to the pro- pro- problem. So that makes me question, what exactly are we doing? And, and so one of my passions is the conversation of leadership has to change to a conversation of discipleship. Yes. Uh, what, what we say at Transformation Church is this. Every leader is not necessarily a disciple, but every disciple should be a leader. And this is what what we mean. Discipleship is mentioned 269 times in the New Testament. Leadership is mentioned three times. And so leadership is a gift, but that gift is no good if it's not wrapped in Christ-centered, spirit-filled, God-glorifying discipleship. And what you get is people who can produce. And America loves winners. Like like we often don't care how we win, Uh, but it's like, no, it's not actually about winning because Jesus has already won. Yes. It's actually about who we're becoming on the journey. And so a lot of times I think particularly evangelical pastors of fast growing churches can um, we're moving at breakneck pace and we're breaking our souls in the process. Yes. And so, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's one of my, that's one of my passions. And I love so, that. Derwin, I, w- I want to jump in uh, to, to my journey of, of following you through the years. I, I remember yes. probably eight years ago, uh, Vicky DM'd me on Twitter, and I, my book had just come out, uh, Social Media Guide for Ministry, and mm-hmm. uh, we did a call just talking about social media a little bit. And so, I've been following your journey through the years, and, and it's been fascinating to watch the growth. Of, of Transformation Church. Can you maybe share, you know, 10 years uh, in the life of a church is, is still infancy in many ways. It but is. The church has grown tremendously through the yeah. years. And, and one of the things I, I've loved naturally being a social media guy is you guys have leaned into technology to where right now when we're quarantined, your church was ready uh, right. for uh, this day uh, unexpectedly. I'd love to know just your journey. If you could tell the journey of 10 years of Transformation Church and and how technology aligned uh, to that development as well. Yeah. So, you know, uh, local churches are often like a football team. You take on the identity of of the head coach or the lead pastor. So for me, early in ministry, it was was theology. It was the gospel of grace, multi-ethnic church. And hey, um, technology, that's cool, but that's not an emphasis. And so over the years, as I've grown, probably like 2011 or 2012, I literally felt like the foundation under my feet was being shaken because I didn't understand the social media reality. And so I was like, you know what? I need to understand this because not only is this not going away, but it is a good, good tool. And so as a church, we have grown in the skill of our uh, production team, our social media team. Uh, we have grown in those resources. Um, for instance, uh, for Easter, we had 117,000 people watch our messages. We're, wow. we're averaging about 40,000 people watching now. We could never fit that many right. into a bi- building. So technology is what it is. It is a it is a leveraging resource for the gospel. It's not an end in itself. It's a means. And so we want to leverage that to reach every nook and cranny of the globe, not just in our sphere, but all over the globe. And we're finding that um, particularly for people who are unchurched, people who've been hurt by the church, people who have no clue what church is, they'll watch us online for months before they ever become a part of what we're doing physically. But what COVID has shown is that we are now, we are going to have a internet viable community. Yeah. That if you can have Peloton, people riding bikes and sweating and being yelled at and have community, we can do that in a local church. And I just think, man, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul had Zoom? Can, can, 
can you ima- ma- ma- imagine him like IGN, like, yo, hey, hey, guys, uh, I am shipwrecked for the third time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, guys, I just got bit by a snake. <laughs> you know, can, can you imagine him discipling and te- te- teaching? So technology, like anything, is not evil. It's what we do with it in our hearts. And so a lot of times, because of a lack of discipleship and idolatry, we will blame technology. Like this, this phone is not the problem. Yes. It's my human heart, what I do with the phone. Mm-hmm. And so if my identity and my value and my security is not located in Christ Jesus, then the platform becomes an idol. And we know what idols do. They make you exhausted. They make you tired. And eventually they crush you. That's good. So at, so at Transformation Church, we are leveraging and leaning in heavily to technology. We, we are in the 21st century, so we should communicate that way. And besides, our God is the most creative of, of, of all. And so we should be as equally as creative because we are endowed with the gifts of the creator. And we're living in a world where visual presentation yeah. matters and oftentimes that's the packaging so people can see what's inside and that what's inside is Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that is so good, Derwin. I'm curious on a, on a personal level, because that's, that's where I encountered you. That's where I've, I continue to encounter you. Uh, I'm curious about two things. One, how have you sharpened your skill in that you're talking about Paul and all the opportunity that he would have had to leverage his uh, moments that were for the people around him where he could have actually done that at scale uh, if he had a phone or technology in the way we do now. So how, how has that journey been for you? And then also in this season specifically, when pastoring doesn't look like getting up in front of thousands of people on a weekend. How have you been able to continue pastoring your flock and, and a, and a growing flock as you've yeah. uh, alluded to in this season through social media? Yeah. So first of all, um, and I learned this from my football days, mm. um, you have to be a student always. When you stop learning, you stop growing. When you stay comfortable, that's a sign of regression. Now, I'm not ta- talking about working yourself into exhaustion. I'm yeah. talking about abiding in the spirit. I'm talking about abiding in Christ, right? And so first and foremost, personally, I had to become a student. So I would ask the millennials. I would ask Gen Z. Um, I would look at other social me- media from pastors that are doing it well and saying, um, how does this fit with who I am? Like, yes. I'm not a real big uh, I'm. Like, I'm not a real big hype guy. Like, I'm passionate, but I'm just not hype just for hype. Like, mm-hmm. um, if my hype is greater than my substance, that's a problem. And in the United States of America, we love to be entertained. So people will be okay with hype. But for me, I want people to engage the real, the authentic. I want, I just, I don't want hype for hype's sake, just to be hyped. Yeah. You know, because as a football player at the beginning of the game, particularly when you get to the NFL, you are hyped at kickoff. You run downfield. That takes about 4.5 seconds. And there's been time where I've been cold cocked on the side of the head and all of my excitement about playing is gone. (laughs) Right. Well, now I have to rely on what I've done throughout the week, what I've done throughout the years when you don't feel like it and it's difficult and challenging. So I've just become a student. Um, and learn. That's why we called our DM Neil years and years ago, because we recognize this is, this is where people live. Now I must admit I'm struggling with TikTok, man. (laughs) Like, like, like I'm not, I'm not just going to get up there and dance. Like my step, my younger staff, like do it, do it, do it, do it, do one. I'm like, listen, I don't have time to sit around and video self myself dabbing or doing this and like when I dance it's spontaneous like it's not planned so I do have a TikTok but I'm putting sermon clips on the TikTok that's awesome Um, I I do think long term though I do think particularly for teenagers because their frontal cortexes are not developed I do think long term TikTok is probably going to cause more damage Mm. for teenagers in the long run because this is a vocabulary word now, TikTok famous. Yeah, right. And so there's so many people. And what I'm noticing is there's a lot of provocative dancing and clothes are getting less and less yeah. and less 
that it's practically like a striptease thing. Yeah. And so that I'm concerned about. And for those of us who are believers, Mm. we should use it in a positive way. Like I have one where I'm pop locking and break dancing and it looks, it looks, it looks awesome. Right. But, but we do have to be careful. So I'm struggling with TikTok. I'm in, I'm, uh, I'm really loving Instagram and I'm learning how to do that more because that's so important, like the IG lives. So in a few weeks, as a matter of fact, the week of May 24th, mm. that is uh, for my new book, which I know we're going to talk about, yes. but we are having the, uh, what, what, what we're calling the Good Life Launch Celebration Week. Awesome. And so I'm going to so have an IG Live with Rick Warren on Monday. Awesome. I'm going to have an IG Live with Lisa Turkers, then John Gordon, and then Lecrae. And then for the actual release celebration, I'm having Beth Moore. Cool. Fantasia's going to be there. Maverick City Music. And so IG Live is, is simply epic. Like right yeah. now, my wife is doing a Bible study on Esther. There are 800 women in it. Wow. So um, having to be a continuous learner and for pastors that are listening and you're struggling, listen, know your gifting. Yes. If you're not good at it, if you don't want to do it, find a Gen Z or younger millennial and let them have at it because it is incredibly, incredibly important. So be a continual student get people to help you and learn because we need to share our ideas. We have the greatest idea. He's a person. He's the logos. Yes. Jesus. What was the second part of your question? Amen. Uh, how have you been able to leverage? There's so many other questions I want to ask you regarding what you just said, but the second part was just how have you been able to, and it sounds like you, you shared with what Vicky is doing. How have you been able to leverage social media to continue pastoring your flock in this COVID season when you're not actually, because a lot of pastors are like, well, I can't see them uh, in person and it's a detriment. How, you know, how do I do this? And so for the pastors yep. out here who think COVID is a setback, how have you actually uh, went from strength to strength in this season by still pastoring through social media? Yeah. So the first thing is I want to give credit to Dan Ruddy. He's one of okay. our pastors and he oversees our production team. Awesome. For about a year and a half, he was like, we have to upgrade our cameras. We have to wow. do these things. He was like, he, he was like, this is a mission field that's only going to get bigger. And he was Smart like, man. he was like, we have a message here. He goes, he goes, pastor, what he goes, this is no disrespect to anybody else, but what we're doing is different mm-hmm. and it needs to be communicated. Um, I can't announce this yet, but sure. I will announce it soon, but we're about to make a big announcement where literally we're going to be able to, touch the whole entire world. Love that. And so uh, Dan has done a great job of getting our cameras, getting everything up to speed. So when COVID hit, the first thing was this, we had to go into triage, right? Because people were in shock, they were in disbelief. Then we had to teach evangelicals starting with our, with our congregation, how to lament, as evangelicals, we forget that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And as you guys are going to learn, as I talk about wow. my book, The Good Life, the word blessed literally means happy. Happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When we are mourning that people are dying, when we are mourning that our kids can't have prom, uh, sports, and, yeah. and I mean, all types of stuff. I mean, it is absolutely bananas how the world has changed. We have to mourn. And when we're mourning, this is how we're comforted. We're comforted because we have solidarity with Jesus. Jesus stepped into our suffering with us. We have solidarity with people who are hurting. Like when I wash my hands, that's a luxury that the poor around the world don't have, that the homeless in America don't have. When I can practice social distancing, I've been to Calcutta, India. You cannot practice social distancing. I mean, it it is unreal. So there's solidarity with people who hurt. And then there's also the hope of one day this is gonna be over, but until that day, my lament turns into action. My lament turns into joining Christ. And so, we have seen our church galvanize around that through um, the preaching, through uh, our, our 
various aspects of Instagram and Twitter mm -hmm. and IG Live and Facebook. We have been communicating those me messages. So what we've seen is our Zoom groups have grown our small group ministry yeah. exponentially. Yeah, We feed about, and this is consistent with what we've done before COVID is, we feed about 325 families a week through our mobile food pantry. Wow. Um, we um, have uh, every Monday, we do a healthcare um, heroes parade where we go through at hospitals and blow horns and we feed them Chick-fil-A. So a lot of things that we've wow. been doing to reach our com community have mm -hmm. actually grown. Um, now, as far as preaching, right? People will say, man, is it hard preaching to an empty room? <laughs> and my first response is, and I know people go, oh, he's a theologian, what a jerk, is I say, well, first of all, I'm not preaching to an empty room because I'm indwelt by the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And secondly, uh, when I preach, it's not for people. When I preach, it's a praise offering for God That's who good. is eternally present with me. And then thirdly, by God's grace and his providence and his sovereignty, um, I've been doing interviews on TV since I was 17 years old. Mm, yeah. And so when I worked for ESPN, when I worked for Fox yep. News, I knew where my one camera was, That's where my right. two was, where my three was. And I knew that if I wanted to connect with some, someone, I look right at that red That's dot. Right. And I could be speaking to 117,000, but that person thinks I'm speaking directly mm -hmm. to them. And, and so... I don't need a congregation to gas me up to preach. So good. Because it's a praise offering to the Lord, right? And so um, actually, I'm only preaching one time. I have so much more energy. In the history of Transformation Church, we, we started with two, three, four, five, six. Then we got a bit, bit, bit building. We went to two. We went to three. I haven't preached one time a year in a decade. <laughs> yeah. And, and it feels great, huh? And we're re reaching more people. But yeah. what I would say to the pastors that are, that are watching, you are preaching for an audience of one. Yeah. Your preaching and praise go hand in hand. And it's almost the overflow as the people get the drink from that praise. It's good. So you look into that camera and know that you're making eye contact with everybody. And then... I remember years ago, this is when Craig Rochelle and all those guys were talking about um, um, multi-site. And I was like, man, these guys are so full of themselves. Oh, I just can't believe this and preaching on a video screen. And then Francis Chan started to speak and I was watching him preach. And mm. I sensed the Holy Spirit said, uh, where are you looking mm. at a big old video screen? I was, I was looking at a big old video screen mm. and I was convicted at that point and I needed to repent and I did repent and it shifted my perspective. And then even at Transformation Church, one of the way that we've helped them grow in connecting with online preaching yeah. is I'll say this, we have 1200 seats in here and the way I make you feel like I'm talking just directly to you is I look directly into the camera. Yeah. And, and I said, when I first began to preach, I was taught make eye contact with the people you're preaching oh, to, but yeah. I can't make eye contact with you because you're looking at the big screen. Yeah. And it was, it was like a shift. Our congregation went, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And so now, man, we are social media, online, we view this as a mission field to reach the lost, but also to re-disciple Christians. So good. Erwin, so I, good. I love you. I, uh, yes. I have, <laughs> that's, I have, all, that's all I think right now. So long. This, is, this is probably the best interview in five years of this podcast that we've ever yeah. had. Um, oh, man, thanks, bro. I, I appreciate your leadership and the wisdom behind yeah. your intentionality and, and, and all that you've done in ministry. I, I want to take, uh, if, this conversation take a big tangent based on a conversation we had earlier uh, before before we hit record um you know we're we're in the middle we're in the middle of all kinds of crazy stuff with covid but we're also in uh, the, the middle of a situation with Ahmad Arbery yes. 
where um, the conversation of racism has, has come top of mind for everyone. And, and what we see is a lot of pastors that will post on social media and that would be the last thing they say about it. Um, or they don't post about it at all because they don't want to touch uh, the topic of, of racism. What um, I'd love to just get some thoughts uh, from your perspective of yep. one, how should pastors be addressing racism? You know, how should we as the body of Christ? Because I, from what the seat I sit in, there might be more racism in the church than there is in any other context in, in our country. Um, and, and then I, I'd love for you to hear, what, where does social media uh, yes. sit in this place of, of, of conversation for, yeah. for pastors and church leaders? Yeah, brother. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let me, um, yep. let me measure my words because I really want them to count. Mm-hmm. Um, let me say this, um, for the history of the church, United States of America, because nothing happens in a vacuum. So if you would give me space to communicate the hard heart of it, nothing happens in a vacuum. So where we are presently is the result of where we've been historically. Typically, uh, my white evangelical brothers and sisters typically don't want to talk about the past unless it's something good. You know, it's kind of right. like a family that don't talk about the, the, the bad stuff, just the good stuff. And so it's important for us is that the gospel frees us from an attachment to a unhealthy nationalistic perspective. So when you look at the history of the United States of America, we've had two great revivals in America. And slavery outlasted both of those revivals. Um, Two of the leaders of those revivals, Jonathan Edwards, as well as uh, George Whitfield, actually promoted slavery. Hmm. And so when you have that theological shaping all throughout the church. So the oldest African-American denomination in America is the African Methodist Episcopal Mm -hmm. denomination, AME. And the AME started because uh, Mr. Allen got tired of praying in the back of the Methodist church and he went up front to pray and he got thrown out. And so they started the African-American Methodist Episcopal Church. And John Wesley, by the way, was an abolitionist. He was against slavery. That's why he's one of my guys. Like he was, he fought against it in his own denomination, ended up recapitulating racism. So there has been an epic failure in the American church to understand that the work of Jesus is not simply the forgiveness of sins. Yes. The work of Jesus not only forgives our sins, but it gives us a family of brothers and sisters with different colored skins. And in this family, because every member is clothed with Christ, righteous in Christ, indwelt by Christ, we see each other with oneness. So therefore, what affects my brothers and sisters should affect me because we share the same DNA. So evangelicals, we have to move beyond just individual sin. So let me give you an example. And this is is really important. Let's say, Neil, you love the Lord. You love all people. But let's say you work at a bank and you Mm -hmm. go into the bank and you give loans. And written, in, and written within the policy of that bank to give loans, it, it says, you can only give loans to minorities who live in this area of town. Now, you can love the Lord, but that systemic rule tells you yeah. you can only give loans so they can live there. So eventually, years go by and you go, man, there's a lot of minorities on this side of town. Why is it that way? Historically, that's called red lining. There was a red line drawn throughout cities to place minorities. They couldn't get loans outside of that. So we have to move beyond just individual racism to look at systemic racism. And I know I'm going to get some pushback from some of your listeners, and I want to push right back in love and say this, if you believe in the doctrine of total depravity, how in the world do you not think total depravity affects systems? Yep. Now, 
this is what I think is a stronghold. I think there's a stronghold in the majority culture that are Christians, that it's fear. I'm going to lose my place at the table. And at Jesus's table, here's the good news. Hmm. There's enough room for all of us. Amen. There is enough room for all of us. And we have to say, man, everyone is welcome at the table. And it's a table of oneness. It's a table of that we are all are, are in Christness, right? And so we have often been discipled better by a racialized culture than the church. And frankly, um, you know, Dr. King had to go to a liberal seminary in Boston because none of the seminaries in the South would take him. Dr. Tony Evans, the Dr. Tony Evans, one of my heroes was refused a pastorate in 1980 in Atlanta because he was black and he's the first graduate of Southern, uh, of uh, uh, Dallas Theological. And that was in the eighties as well. That's not that long ago. So we have a problem in the church. So, so I gave the history, right? Yep. What I want to propose Yep. Is let's go back to the scriptures because the Apostle Paul addresses all of this. Jesus addresses this. The Bible addresses this, that there's a new humanity in Christ. And we have to move around, uh, away from Jesus just saved me to know Jesus saved the we. And we have to look, look at it systemically. Secondly, that was just the first point. Secondly. So good. Secondly, um, for a lot of churches that are seeker sensitive or fast growing suburban, predominantly white, you don't talk about those issues because you don't have to, it doesn't reflect your congregation. And so what happens is, is our hearts shrivel and we leave our brothers and sisters alone because we're afraid that the money's going to dry up, that the big givers are going to leave. And so it's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about racism. I don't, I don't want to talk about from the pulpit how evangelical Christians used to say Bill Clinton, you know, he's an adulterer and he's uh, p- women have said that he has um, uh, sexually assaulted them and his character's bad. And then Donald Trump becomes president. It's like, well, his character doesn't matter. What matters is he's going to get us judges. Can someone tell me in the new Testament where Jesus is like, listen, character doesn't matter. We just right. need to get Christians in the Roman Supreme Court. Right. And so it makes minorities go, oh, you guys were using the abortion issue simply as a cover for political power because you think it has your best interest in mind. Yep. So there is this don't talk about controversial issues because you'll run people off. And my thing is this. We see churches growing, they're big, multiple campuses, and America is more divided than ever. And a lot of that racial division and political division is in the pews. But hey, listen, if your church is big, you're getting a big salary, who cares? Yep. I yep. care. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And now, what I would say this too is for the historic black church because I am a multi-ethnic church pastor and to the historic black church, there is still a prominent place in the body of Christ for the historic black church because of the intentional racism that we still see that is alive and well, like who would have ever thought that Nazis, Nazis would march in America. Like uh, uh, Aaron and Neil, probably your, ancestors fought in Hitler's war in Germany against Nazis. And now Nazis are marching in America. Right. And where in pulpits are silent. Yes. Oh, here's another one. Can I, can I give you one more? Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) The Confederate flag stands for this. We didn't want to be in America. So how can you be a patriot for America and fly a flag that says, I didn't want to be American? Yes. And didn't that Confederate flag stand for the raping 
and the pillaging and the enslaving of human beings? How many Nazi flags do you see in Germany? And there were way more people right. who died on slave ships coming to America than the Holocaust. I'm done. Thank you, Derwin. I, I, I just can't thank you enough. We, this is one of the reasons uh, that we and I wanted you on this podcast. It is not the reason, so I don't want our listeners to get it twisted. This is certainly something that you are passionate about, that uh, Nils and I are passionate about, and, um, but not as steeped in or schooled in. Uh, and so I just want to take my uh, seat right here to thank you. Uh, instead of just thanking your stories to a, to a screen that's not going to talk back uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, I just want to thank you in person um, for leading me in this way. And I know Nils would, would say the same thing because we benefit so much uh, as a white male in the United States, as a young white male. Uh, an impressionable uh, white male that is still figuring out everything uh, at, at 29 years of age. Uh, I thank you for your leadership, your boldness, your courage, uh, and just not shying away because um, money might not be there or worldly things might not be there. Uh, understanding that, and I want to get into the good life, understanding that the good life is not avoiding these topics. The good life is not avoiding conflict, not avoiding, uh, not taking the easy road. The good life is not the easy road, the most convenient road. Um, the, the good life is uh, following Jesus where he calls you to go. And so you are unashamed of going there, Derwin. Uh, and the, I, for all of the people who can never tell you in person, you are impacting people and leading people, uh, myself included. And I so benefit from your leadership uh, specifically in this Thank area, you, overall, overall in the church, because it's not just this area that Derwin leads me uh, everywhere. Your theology, uh, everything you add to the church, um, Christianity, uh, high definition leaders, the one of the, my first book that I read from you. Uh, and I, so I'm excited for this good life book, but I just, I just wanted to say thank you. And if Nils has anything to say before you get into talking about that book, uh, just thank you for that. I, I, um, Derwin, I, I appreciate you speaking so, uh, directly about yep. this issue. I, I sat down with my friend Jason Caston about four years ago and, uh, dirt in the middle of black lives matter, uh, yep. you know, and, and everything that was going on and just said, and, and I grew up in a white world and, um, and, and I served in that suburban white mega church. And I said, help me understand black lives matter. And, and he, he walked me through his life journey, um, of, of racism that I ha was clueless to, to be honest. As yes. a, and I was, I'm 40 years old now that was, I was 36 years old then. Uh, and, and, um, I had the perception that racism was behind us. Uh, I think it's become much more clear today uh, than maybe it was four years ago. Um, but I think it's a topic and, and that we need to talk about in the church, that this is, this is an issue that pastors need to speak to. Derwin, before we get into the book, though, would you speak to how it's hard for me? You know, there's guilt even as, as a white man uh, yeah, yeah. to around this, this topic. So even, even that pastor that feels that burden and, and even those that, that feel that pressure I, and I hear you on the pressure and I believe it and I've seen it with those not wanting to address it. Um, there's also an angst of, I, I don't even know how to address it. How can pastors effectively address this issue and all pastors of any church anywhere? Yeah, so the, the first thing I would say to my white brothers and sisters is, is this, that God doesn't call us to be guilty. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God calls us to be aware, and God calls us to become advocates. Mm. So becoming aware and becoming advocates, right? And so, you know, uh, my wife is a white girl from Montana, Um. I did a DNA test and I'm nearly a quarter European. Uh, my aunt has blonde hair and hazel eyes. My mom is light skinned. And so that's what made me go do a DNA test because I was like, man, I got some peoples in my family. So what I like to say is I'm Darwin, a black Scotsman. Nice. And I get a Celt. Nice. <laughs> and so, um, so, I think a lot of this rests at the foot of seminaries. Seminaries wow. uh, do not do a good job in teaching this. 
um, guys, I have a doctorate. And one of the reasons why I got a doctorate and worked my tail off is because I wanted to speak with authority that no, 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 no. When Jesus told his Jewish disciples, go make disciples of all ethnic groups. Can you imagine the Jewish people going, ethnic group means ethnos. That means the Gentiles. So what had these Jews experienced from Gentiles? 400 years in slavery from the Egyptians, being terrorized by the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Zebubites, the Babylonians took them into captivity, and now the Romans were oppressing them. Jesus is saying, I want you to go to the people who've oppressed you and love them. Love your enemy. Are you kidding me? Like, it's right there in the Bible. I have found that those who say, well, we're people of the Bible. No, they are people of Western 16th century medieval reformational theology, (laughs) which is a white European theology. My doctoral work is in the first century, second temple Jewish context. So how much do you think Calvin cared? Like, I don't know if Calvin ever seen anybody that was African. Mm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so it's really important that we're like, yeah, we got theology. I'm like, no, Western individualism is not the fullness of the, the, the theology. So my doctoral advisor, Scott McKnight and, and mm. N.T. Wright and, and Michael Bird, like I connect with a lot of uh, European and British scholars. Um, we seem in America to be really stuck on a Western individualistic, I prayed this prayer, I'm saved, and Jesus took the wrath for me, I don't go to hell. Well, that's a part of it, but there's so many other beautiful aspects of the cross. Jesus rewrites our story, doctrine of recapitulation. Jesus frees us from the power of sin and death, Christus Victor. I mean, it goes on and on and on that is such a larger and bigger world. And also, salvation only exists so God can have a family called the church. And that's a family that he promised a man by the name of Abram. Abraham. He said, Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. Jesus fulfilled that, fulfills that covenant to give Abraham that family of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So we are not theological enough. So I'm, that's why we do the that's HD good. leader round t- table. Our next one hopefully will be in um, October. So you guys go to derwinlgrade.com and learn about the HD leader yeah. round t- table. You spend two days with me and my staff and we help you become 21st century missionaries by learning the first century reality of the gospel. That's so good. That's so good, Derwin. Uh, let's let's get right into this book. So you wrote a book called The Good Life. Yes. Uh, and there is uh, a lot of stuff that we just talked about that could be perceived uh, as this is not the good life. And social media, a lot of people would listen to this and be like, social media is the, the root of the bad life. Uh, it ruins my perception of the good life. So uh, I would love for you to just maybe tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book, what the book is about, and then uh, tie that. How, how does social media play into the good life? Yeah, so uh, back in 2014, through pastoral care, meeting with people, I was finding that uh, Christians and non-Christian alike, regardless of ethnicity, social class, gender, were really struggling with happiness. Hmm. And as I explored and prayed, I found that Christians were pursuing happiness the same way non-Christians were. Oh. And so I don't, I don't know if you played this game, Aaron, because you grew up uh, with you know, smartphones and video games. But man, like in the, in the late 70s, when we were bored, my grandma's like, well, go outside. Yeah. And so I would chase my shadow. Yeah. And chasing your shadow is fun. And what starts out as childhood fun uh, deteriorates into adult frustration and disappointment because mm. right when you're there, it's like, oh, it's gone. And so yeah. typically we view happiness as something good happened to me. Um, Mm. I accomplished my dreams. My kids are okay. It's usually a lot of things external. And that's secondary happiness. But primary happiness, Jesus actually guarantees it and invites us into it. So my book is based on Matthew chapter 5, verses Mm. 3 through 12. That's known throughout church history as the Beatitude. So Jesus lists literally 
eight characteristics of people who are happy. Uh, the Greek word blessed. So the first beatitude, bless, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That Greek word blessed is makaros. And literally makaros means happy. So Jesus is saying, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he lists these incredible characteristics. So Jesus is in essence saying, sit at my feet and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to share my life with you to make you happy. And you're going to discover that happiness is not necessarily about good things happening to you. It's about me making you good. That happiness is about who you are becoming. And when you look at the Beatitudes, they are an expression of Jesus. When Jesus looked in the mirror, he saw his reflection. The Beatitudes are a mirror of Jesus's very life. And salvation is Jesus saying, I'm going to give you my life so that I can be myself in you so you can truly discover who you are. So when people look at this, I mean, the cover, I mean, the artwork is beautiful and they're going to get into it and, and go, oh my gosh, what I'm thinking about the good life, I can never catch. Hmm. But the good God has caught me and he wants to make me good and he wants to change my character. Think about this. So, right. So, um, they're probably fathers listening. Yeah. Who wouldn't want their son to um, walk in humility, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker, yeah. to withstand persecution, who has a heart to weep with those who weep, and then who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means you don't have confidence, you have something better. Mm. Godfidence. Nice. Like, who wouldn't want to be that kind of man, that kind of woman, that kind of ministry leader? So the good life is really learning about finding a happiness that's rooted in something deeper and better and more beautiful than what happens to you. And what I've done after every chapter, I have a section called Marinate on This. Yes. I have a prayer that I wrote. I have six study questions. I have six things to remember at the end of the book, I have what's called the happiness manifesto mm. and it's a daily affirmation. And then I have a 30 day challenge where for 30 days straight, you read the Beatitudes and soak and sit in it. There's also the good life Bible study um, for teenagers and adults as well. So we want to start a happiness movement. Nice. And as you see, it's not this flimsy happiness that's yep. contingent upon external things. It's a happiness rooted in the eternal love of God. That is so good, Derwin. Thank you for sharing. And and I do, because I've been listening to your stuff. Uh, if someone, when, when does the book release uh, really so, quick? So the book releases June 2nd. June 2nd. Okay. But you can go to the good. You can, yeah, of, of, of uh, 2020. So it's about to, to go down quick. And so because of social media, I will yes. be letting you know on Instagram, on Facebook, and yeah, Twitter, so make sure you stay and tuned. TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you, can, you can go to thegoodlifebook.net, thegoodlifebook.net. Also, uh, Lifeway has my book on sale until June 21st, but I encourage you to get it now at a 50% nice. discount. You can get two for the price of one, four for the price of two. All right. Love it. So the goodlifebook.net uh, Lifeway uh, is selling my book at a 50% discount. I'm trying to start a happiness movement yes. because, because happiness and holiness are two sides of the same coin. And you can still, and, and, and this is what I was ultimately going to say, can, can people taste the book by, st can they still get chapter five for free? Yes. Is that still a thing? Okay. Yeah. Let people know yeah. about that. Yeah. If you go to the goodlifebook.net, you can get chapter five for free. And the reason why we're giving away chapter five for free is uh, in chapter five towards the end of the chapter, and I finished it probably in September of 2019 is I write about how the early Christians responded to pandemics in the Greco-Roman world. Wow. 
And so I had no idea when the book was going to be released that we would be in the midst of a global pandemic. And so in that chapter, we can learn from our ancestors of the past and how they responded. And the big idea is this, is the non-believers, the Jews, the Gentiles, they would flee people who were sick and in danger, and the Christians would stay. That's where the word hospital comes from, because they mm-hmm. were hospitable. Sometimes the Christians would die with those who would die. Sometimes the Christians would be used by the Lord to, to bring about miracles of healing. But what would happen after the pandemics is the church would grow because people would, would say, what kind of God is it that you serve that you love this way? And so that's why I wanted to give chapter five for free. So your listeners can go to the goodlifebook.net and get chapter five for free. Love that. Uh, you alluded to it um, and, and we're wrapping up here, but I want you to be able to talk about your podcast as well. Uh, this is a great, in addition to social media, this is a great way to get a flavor of uh, what Derwin is doing, the ministry impact that he's having. You talk about quite a few different topics. I've enjoyed it. And they're bite-sized, which is really great. Uh, I think a true art of a podcast, contrary to how long this one is, is the art of being able to be concise. Uh, and you you have mastered that art with this podcast, but it's called Marinate on That, which is why yeah. at the end of the chapters, you encourage uh, us to marinate. Yeah. which I love. It's not just good to consume. We're a consuming uh, nation here in the United States, but we don't always take the time to marinate on what we are consuming, uh, evaluate it, sit on it, think on it. Uh, and so your podcast, Marinate on That, which you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts, you guys need to go check that out. Uh, why don't you tell me, because you're 14 episodes deep, uh, yeah. you might have recorded more, but if 14 have been released to this point, what have you learned uh, through starting a podcast? And, and has there been new facets of ministry that have opened up through starting a podcast? Well, I think the first thing that I've learned is, is be consistent and be you. Um, Be consistent and be you. Um, I love Jesus. I love theology, doctrine. I love mobilizing, equipping people. And so I have to be me. When I talk about leadership, it's always wrapped up in discipleship. Um, I've had the privilege to um, have my wife on. It was awesome. That was such a good episode, by the way. Thank you. And then the next episode, we're going to drop my son, who is 19 years old, is going to be on it. And for those of you who don't know, my son was one of the top high school defensive backs in the country. He had scholarship offers from Penn State, South Carolina, many other schools. And he decided that he was going to go play at Wake Forest because the academics are phenomenal. He just connected with the authenticity of the coaches. But three days before camp ended, he decided like, man, I I think God is calling me to uh, learn foreign languages and to leverage business or politics for the gospel in Europe. And I like football. I'm really, really good, but I don't believe I'm called to this any, any, anymore. Wow. So um, I pr- pr- we pr- pretty much turn on re- re- record, and you guys get to hear a conversation that we've had for years. And um, he drops incredible nuggets for parents. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's just astonishing and anointing that's on his life. And so I can't wait for the world to hear that as well. That's fantastic. I can't wait to listen to that podcast because I followed that whole journey. Speaking to, to end right here on social media, you, Derwin, Derwin, how you covered your son's recruiting process with your social media from, through the lens of a dad was like one of the greatest things I got to witness. And I felt like I was on that journey and to see him sign with Wake Forest. I mean, you guys were going to Clemson games every weekend. You yeah. were uh, touring at Penn State, at Pitt, like all of these, like you guys don't understand. Jeremiah was like legit. And you throw the high school highlights in there. Uh, You coached his high school team a little bit. And I only know this, not because I'm friends with Derwin, uh, like we don't have a relationship uh, where I see him face to face, but I got to follow his son's journey all through, which made me connect with Derwin uh, on an even deeper level. Uh, and so I thank you for doing that first of all, but I celebrated when he signed at Wake Forest. I was like, Oh, this is great. I'm going to follow Wake Forest. I can't wait to watch your games. And then all of a sudden, cause I, I was following Jeremiah on social as well. And then he had this incredibly articulated, um, uh, tweet 
uh, and messaging that he put out everywhere uh, that he was no longer going to be playing. He felt called somewhere else, but I didn't know the story after that. Uh, And so I appreciate you sharing that, but it was so cool uh, and created that connection. Not, not even what you're, what you do professionally, not sharing about the gospel per se uh, in a theological way or anything from the pulpit, but you just shared your life. And if pastors listening to this could just understand the magnitude of letting people in appropriately, letting people into your life, the connection that people can make with that for me as a dad, for me as somebody uh, who walked through that process recently, uh, just ahead of Jeremiah walking through that recruiting process, uh, having to decide on what college you want to go to. That was so rich, so cool. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Darwin, but I can't wait to listen to that podcast. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for sharing because uh, for me, a part of it was very cathartic for me. Um, my dad, you know, I love my dad. I've forgiven my dad, but my dad was not involved in my life. Um, I may have missed five of my son's practices from little all the way up to high school, maybe five. I was there at every practice because my dad never came to a game or practice. And in high school, the guys whose dads were not involved in our lives, we would make fun of the kids whose dads would come to watch practice because we were jealous, we were hurt, we didn't know how to process that. And so um, I felt like I wanted him to know, man, listen, I love you, man. I am enjoying watching you do what you do. Try to do that with my daughter as well. So I wasn't necessarily documenting it for people. It was more of the overflow of, man, we are so enjoying this. And so what I will say for pastors is if you do decide to do this one, um, don't use your kids as a ministry tool Two, don't try to show people you're the perfect parent that you're not three. If your kids are under 25, don't give parenting advice, please. Um, this was simply the overflow of, I wanted to document yeah. this incredible j- journey because I love him and I had no one to share that with me. And, and so a lot of people get on Le- Le- LeBron James cause he's at games with his, with his son, but I understand what it's like to look in the stands and your family's not there, mm-hmm. bro. My family went to three high school games and then it's heartbreaking when you make it to the NFL and then everybody wants to come to the game. They want you to buy the tickets. They want you to pay for the flight. They want you to do all that. And I'm going, well, where were you when I was a second string cornerback as a junior in high school? Where were you? And so I wanted my son to know from day one, listen, man, I'm here to support you. Um, I love you. And I'll finish with this story. The last official football game he played in was the state championship game. Third series of the game, a linebacker gets blocked into him, falls on his leg, tears ligaments in his ankle, breaks the lower part of his leg. So it's a parent's worst nightmare. And I could tell he's hurt. I mean, I've been around the game and I was like, yeah, he's hurt bad. So they call me down to the field. So I run down to the field and he's laying on his back. I move the trainers out of the way. And I look at him, and there's a tear coming down his eye, right? And the first thing I say to him is I say, son, and this is something I've said to him his whole life. I I, I said, son, I want you to know I love you, and I am so proud of you. I said, man, I am proud of the man that you are. And immediately he he stopped crying, and we got up, and we walk to the sideline and his ankles like this big, the bone. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a mess. So I'm trying not to freak out. Right. Yeah. Cause if, if I get hurt, I'm good. When your yeah. kids get hurt, you're not good. Right. So we're, so he's iced up and he's, and he's sitting on a thing and we're talking and he looks at me and he says, dad, God is so good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, dad, God is so good. I'm like, son, well, why do you say, say, say that? He goes, he goes, man, I could have been hurt in the early of the year. Mm. I could have tore my knee up. 
man, God is so good. And then I stopped crying on the inside and I'm like, wow, Lord, in this moment where it looks like everything is jacked up, that's the good life. Yes. Right there. Oh, Darwin, that is so good. I so appreciate you being on. Uh, you guys, listeners, need, you need to check out Derwin uh, on social. Twitter and Instagram is where he's most active. Soon to be TikTok, maybe. Uh, you can follow just to see uh, how Derwin is using that, redeeming the platform. Uh, make sure you're checking out his uh, book, The Good Life. Keep your eyes open for the release of that. Uh, why don't you just go and uh, pre-buy it right now? That would be the best thing to do. Check out chapter five. Uh, be inspired by Derwin. Listen to his podcast. Uh, check out what Transformation Church is doing incredible things. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. We would absolutely love it if you uh, subscribed right here for future interviews, just like this, as you continue to build your ministry on social media, uh, impacting people uh, and spreading the gospel over the digital waves of the internet. Uh, and we, we will keep you informed right here on the Social Media Church Podcast of how to do that. Uh, subscribe, write a review, and we will see you next time. Until next time, listeners, this has been the Social Media Church Podcast. Nils is here. I'm here. We'll see you next time.